0: off the ball Cristiano Ronaldo was offered to numerous clubs in the summer and no deal could have been done subscribe now to the OTB football podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB sports app OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar Lee McKenzie Scottish broadcaster uh, on the line morning Lee how are things Morning, I'm well thanks, how are you? Keeping well, keeping well, I've been, I've been busy reading this, this book, for, for anyone um, unfamiliar, Inside F1, uh, your, your, your journey and your, your, I guess it tells a story through, through seven different drivers across the years and uh, how they've impacted your life and how their careers have impacted the lives of, of Formula 1 fans as well. Um, like Your own interest in Formula 1, and this is something I hadn't realised when I was reading the introduction of the book, stemmed very, very much so from your, from your dad.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I was the sort of annoying child that turned up absolutely everywhere. Um, <laughs> I had covered an awful lot of rugby. Um, I had attended athletics, Formula One, uh, everything really by about the age of, I don't know, 13, 14, 15. And then you just sort of look around one day and you think, I wonder if I could uh, earn money by, <laughs> by still coming to sport and pretending
0: it's a proper job. And really, that's what I've done since. Um like... When, when you watch, when you're watching Formula One races on on TV, and, and you reference the the uh, Ayrton Senna, Roland Ratzenberger um, tragedy at Imola in, in 1994, like did moments like that um, wake you up to the dangers of the sport and, and covering those dangers to to a, to a greater degree? It must have been quite a turning point to watch that on television, for example.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was um, I was too young to be going to the sport then, mm. but it did make you suddenly sit up and think, okay, this is a uh, This is a sport with consequences because you know my background was all horses, and I knew if I fell off, you know, you'd you'd be sore, you'd be, you could be injured, you could break your arm, whatever. It it could be much worse, but I don't think as a kid that you really appreciate that. Um, The other sports, you know, you see people limping off in rugby and things when I was that age. Again, I didn't maybe realize the consequences, but somebody crashing into a safety barrier had huge consequences. But it bizarrely didn't put me off. It just sort of made me understand it a lot earlier than a lot of people would have possibly.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it really puts things in, in perspective and, and the dangers of the sport for sure. Um like for anyone who was interested in the book, so David Coulthard writes the that the forward, and then you've got a chapter yeah. on seven, um, all individually fascinating drivers. So Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, Max Verstappen, Fernando Alonso, Felipe Massa, and uh, Jensen Button, uh, all interesting characters. Like um, we might maybe start on on Michael Schumacher because <laughs> uh, I, I know you have a, a deep interest in, in plenty of sports, but equestrian sports maybe might be right up there. Um, and yourself and Michael, that's something that that you both shared, and that there's a really really. Fascinating fascinating anecdote you touch on in the book where, where you end up in, on Michael's ranch essentially
1: yeah, I we used to talk about a lot of sports. I love it when you meet different uh, athletes that you can talk of sort of a wide variety of sports. And Michael was one of those people. A lot of people, you know, most people wouldn't appreciate that. Um, but his family had the huge ranch. Um, and actually, they still do. And in Texas as well. But their love of hor- equestrian was Western riding. So reining, the sort of stepsons, the chaps, the sliding. And it's not something that we particularly do um, in the in the UK certainly um, but he gave me a challenge to compete at the European Championships against him so I took a horse from West Sussex I had no idea about western riding um, and I still don't to be fair and I took this horse from West Sussex over to Switzerland and competed against him and we did an interview and it was great fun um, but yeah I did stand on the same step of the podium as Michael uh, albeit wearing a stetson and chaps and uh, yeah it was
0: very very surreal. That's one for the grandkids uh, stand on the same podium as <laughs> As as uh, Michael Schumacher, and um, interestingly, Lee, we had we had a, an Irish basketball commentator, Timmy McCarthy, on on the show recently, where he was talking about um, his first time meeting Michael Jordan and interviewing Michael Jordan and, and the imprint that left on him. Like for you, that first time that you got to to interview Michael Schumacher face to face, must be quite a nerve wracking moment. But but then you're a professional as well, so you're also trying to to get the questions right. Like what what type of interviewee was he?
1: You had to be really sharp. You had to know what you were doing. You had to get your prep in order because Michael was the sort of master of turning it back on you. Um, And maybe a a bit like a politician, he would just sort of talk at you and change the rhetoric to exactly what he wanted. But then it was my duty to try and navigate him back to, yeah, well, that's all very well. You might have been fastest in lap 23, but you weren't on 24, 25. And it was just sort of like doing it with the respect, but also letting him know that, I knew what he was up to. Um, and it's, it was interesting like writing this because I went back through so many old interviews for each driver and uh, the ones with Michael, I was actually really quite firm in the interview with them, much more than I ever remembered. I was kind of watching them back going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I asked that. (laughs) Um, But it it was great. And it was nice to see the rapport again because you forget things so quickly. Formula One is such a fast moving sport in every sense that it moves on. You maybe do four four interviews a week with these guys. Um, So you're not going to remember everything. But doing the book, it's kind of like really jogged my memory.
0: Uh, and and you touch on it in the book as well that he's he, he clearly is someone who transcended the sport and we remember certain moments from his career and, and one of them that that stood out for me and um you know jogged my memory on it as well was the the 1998 Spa Grand Prix in Belgium where the the, the, the famous slash infamous incident with with David Coulthard and and running down the pit lane towards him that must have been quite a race to cover given the, the you know it's one that we still talk about so many years later
1: yeah that was probably i was there um on work experience uh i was still at university at the time um In fact, I was probably just, I think I just started university, but I was doing work experience. That was the first one uh, that I went to um, in a sort of proper role. Uh, Yeah. And I still uh, presented the Belgian Grand Prix a few weeks ago for Channel 4. And there is no uh, Belgian Grand Prix that goes past that we don't use the footage of DC causing absolute chaos and Michael trying to like run down and punch him because I obviously present the program with David. So if there's ever an opportunity to show the absolute
0: chaos that he caused, we'll always bring that we might move on to, to, to Lewis Hamilton because there's a, a great chapter on Lewis as well and, and the type of character he is and, and how he's changed over the years as well. Um, maybe mellowed to some degree as, as drivers tend to do it towards the end of their careers. You, you referenced um, and there was a great thing, a quote from the book where you said, um, uh, during an interview with Lewis, he talked about, when I went for my first signing for McLaren, I remember Ron Dennis looking me up and down because I had baggy jeans, didn't necessarily have the smartest of outfits on. My dad always told me, you've got to look the part. Um, and that was really interesting that when he started off with McLaren he went from this kid with, with the braids and, and dressing the way he, he dresses now to be fair to to this prim and proper uh, young kid who wanted that place on the grid
1: yeah I mean I think how he's dressing now is like completely exacerbated every day is like a fashion parade where the camera's just set up now for every time Lewis enters the paddock, because what he wears will make global news, which is just really bizarre. You don't get that. You know, when I'm standing uh, freezing doing Champions Cup at the RDS or something, I'm not exactly waiting for Johnny or someone to come strutting in in like some like, major fashion statement. But Formula One, you get a bit of that as well. Um, but Lewis, I think, is actually closer to the person he was when he was 17, 18, 19
0: Sorry, um, just, at this stage. Sorry, we just struggling with your line there, Lee. We're going to get, get you back in one second, just one second. Um, just a bit of a choppy one. Um bit like the 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 F1 paddock,
2: trying to interview <laughs> people on the... Good, good analogy. The nice segue. It's but a bit it, like... Um when Bowie goes on and uh, our tennis segment sent to go through the roof. I have a feeling that <laughs> Formula 1 might be making F1 fans out there.
0: It's probably, I think it's the, when you see Martin Brundle before the Formula 1 races doing the, the pit lane walks and interviewing and, and it's absolute carnage. You've got the celebrities, yeah. you've got the drivers and you've got the teams trying to get the last minute preparations together. Uh, so there, there's that mix between the, uh, the, the ridiculous and the celebrities trying to get their little photo ops and words in with the drivers. And then these people in a multi-million dollar industry trying to get the preparations done on their on their car, the last minute bits and bobs, drivers listening to music or get their last minute preparations in. It's one of the great things in sport, I think, is, is watching Martin Brundle do what he does. Ah, oh, it's um,
2: And it's so unique as well because how do you get that sort of access to be up close? And not necessarily, he does obviously harangue drivers every now and then, but like, <laughs> you know, not necessarily... It'd be like walking around the tunnel before a football match and just grabbing people all over the place. Yeah,
0: but Lee Lee does it brilliantly as well. Where you're, you're with Formula One drivers, especially, I know most top sports people have egos, um, but I think Formula One drivers particularly have a certain sense of entitlement and ego. Um, and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. I think I think you're allowed to when you're at the top of your game. And I mentioned it to Jerry yesterday, like I was down with. Alex Dunn, the young Formula 4 dro- driver from Clambleau, Ganofle. Mm. He, he gave me a few spins around Mondello Park last week and right. he's only 16 but there is a there is a cockiness to him as well that I really liked because mm. um, I was going down, the, down there thinking is this, he's going to be a meek little 16-year-old who doesn't even have his driving licence but he's driving in Formula 4 but he had that little, there was a little edge about him yeah. um, and I think when you're getting behind the wheel of a, of a very fast motor car you kind of have to have the edge about you um, so for for people like Lee to to navigate these interviews with egos like like Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen and Massa and and Schumacher like there's not one of them not touched by ego. Um,
2: oh yeah, I mean it's one of the most uh, egotistical. Is that fair enough? Sports you would think and also it's just at that elite level. Like I mean when you consider the number of even though the Premier League is like the elite of the elite. Uh, it's look at the number of players right yeah, like yeah. there's hundreds of them in the Premier League. <laughs> and in Formula 1 you have whatever what is it
0: it's, tw- it's 20 drivers on the grid 20 and like so 20 to, 20. and you think of all the drivers just beyond that 20 who are trying to get their seat on the on, on the grid as well not an easy thing to do but yeah, I'd be I'd be really just it's a job that I'd love to, I'd love to get down to the paddock at some stage and uh, interview some drivers there that's the that's the dream that's up there with my covering space launches Adrian is my... Right. This
2: isn't I dream think job. one is more <coughs> easily achievable than the other. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know how you're going to get into the paddock yeah. to do some interviews. It's but. tough.
0: We have uh, Lee McKenzie back on the line. Lee, we are just talking there about <laughs> um, the madness of the, of the paddock interviews and, and, and like yeah. people like yourself and Martin Brundle have to do these interviews where you've got the, the, the mania of, of celebrities trying to get their little moments with the drivers, but then you've got, as I say, a, a multi-million dollar industry of teams running around and drivers trying to prepare. It must be quite a... Uh, a manic environment and you touch on it very well in the book as well
1: yeah I think if you use Miami as the example which was quite a famous one with Martin earlier on this year Miami we just called um, rather disparagingly the Instagram Grand Prix because it was madness you know there was like anyone who lived within a sort of 2,000 mile vicinity of Miami turned up on the grid on that day and it was just, you couldn't do your job. I mean, that's what it came down to. You just actually couldn't do your job. The drivers were getting really annoyed because they were just in some sort of media frenzy, um, celeb frenzy. <laughs> and ultimately they have a job to do literally five minutes later. They love it when we all get off the grid. They can put their visor down, sit in the car and just get to work because anything before that is, is just a distraction. And it does really amaze me, um, that we get as close. As we do to the drivers, literally just before they're going to you know sit there and, and t- tear off at like two hundred kilometers an hour, I think it's just I, I hope it lasts i'm not sure how long it would last it will last, but um, I really hope it does because that's something which is so different about Formula One
0: one of the great stories you you also touched on in in, in the book was the the Manic nature of the two thousand and eight Brazilian Grand Prix, um, when we had that Hamilton versus Massa battle down to essentially the last corners of the of the championship title race, um, when Hamilton ultimately came out on top, and the local Brazilian crowd devastated, no doubt that, that their man Felipe Massa didn't get over the line. Um, but that must have been quite interesting, because even you touch in the book about you know driving through the favelas and um, reasonably dangerous neighborhoods uh, around that that race as well. So that entire experience between getting to Brazil and, and driving through those neighbourhoods and then to have the race end and the championship end in the way it did must have been an eye-opening experience.
1: Yeah, and that was actually my first one um, for BBC. I just wanted to go do a good job um There'd been an incident on a Thursday that we'd had a gun put in through our window. Uh, so it actually turned out uh, quite a funny story, but uh, I won't ruin it for people who are, are reading the book. But, um, yeah, we had a gun put in through the window. And then so everybody was already in a heightened state and, um, it was David Cothar's last race. Um, So that was a big story in terms of the UK. Would Lewis Hamilton become, you know, get his first world title? And then you just got to that Sunday where the rain was falling. Brazil always has a very different aura anyway. Um, If you sort of believe that stadiums or places like that, you can get a different feel. That is certainly somewhere. Um, And the, just how the race played out. And that to me is still one of the, the sort of most chilling or a moment that sums up exactly what sport is. On paper, there was a winner and a loser, but actually there was so, so much more than that. Um It was devastation for Felipe Massa and it was everything that Lewis Hamilton had ever dreamed of. And the fact that Felipe thought it was his, his family thought it was his, they'd achieved that dream. And then for it to be not taken away from him because in actual fact, he hadn't won it. He'd never won it. Um But yeah, it's st- it will stay with me for the rest of my life.
0: Uh, as an interviewer, Lee, um, you'd have noticed this as well and, and we get it quite often where sports people want to talk about uh, other things and almost their face lights up when they get to touch on topics other than their chosen sport like Brian O'Driscoll on golf maybe is a good example yes. and even myself And I, you know uh, the couple of times I've met Ronnie O'Sullivan regardless of talking about snooker, he loves talking about athletics and running and getting out on the, yeah. on the, on the track or on the roads. Uh, for you there was a great anecdote in the book as well where, where you're talking to Lewis Hamilton um and he brings up, uh, I, w- I won't say an acting debut, but but he had a, a small, not part to play, but Ridley Scott gave him an opportunity to uh, to get on set one day.
1: Yeah, that was surreal. I mean, I do these end of season interviews that really, you know when you go in that nobody wants to be there. Because maybe the guy who's won the championship wants to be there. But you sort of sit down and you're really enthusiastic. You've done all your prep and you're like, so pre-season testing, February. And they're like, <laughs> February, I don't even remember last week. Um, and you go through the year. And they're quite dull, these interviews. Um But Lewis just suddenly came out with the fact that in Hungary, he, he didn't say he lost the race because of it, but essentially he did. He'd been asked to go on to set for the Martian and sit in the chair and sort of like play the part. And when Matt Damon didn't turn up, Lewis was going to take that part for the morning and all the rest of it. And he basically burnt himself out. Um, and he was exhausted and he drove like he was exhausted. He doesn't make many mistakes as a driver. He created chaos in that race and it was just a a bizarre interview and then at the end he said to me oh man I shouldn't have said that to you that should have been in my book and I was like I'm not sure if it should be in anyone's book to be honest Um but yeah most drivers get up in the morning have breakfast uh get to the track headphones on head down whereas Lewis actually has the capacity maybe not on that day but he has a capacity for so much more in Singapore he took his DJ suite with him and um, he was he's making his music at like, you know, one, two, three, four in the morning. Um, and admittedly, we stay on European time, but most drivers only focus on the driving, whereas Lewis has always had a lot more time for other stuff.
0: Um, uh, finally, Lee, and, and, and look for, for other stories from other drivers. And Sebastian Vettel is one that, that I really love uh, from the book as well. Uh, such a fascinating character. But people can, can listen and or read to uh, all the different stories with all those seven drivers in, in the book. But if you had to, to put, put your nail in the mast and pick your uh, best Formula One driver of all time, let's say I know Juan Manuel mm-hmm. Fangio from the fifties comes up in a lot of people's conversations. But even in a in a recent sense, do you have a, do you have a, a favorite? I'm sure you're asked the question quite often.
1: Yeah. And I was actually talking about this to Sir Jackie Stewart, a three time world champion, uh, who's a, who I've known since I was a kid. We were talking about this recently. Uh, can you compare like for like in terms of, you know, the sport has changed so much. The cars have changed even in the last 10 years. It's really difficult to know. Um, you know, Michael had his faults. A lot of people said, um, I thought he was a, a sublime driver. I think that actually somebody who goes without a lot of recognition is Fernando Alonso because he's just a two time world champion. But for many years, he's dragged these un- underperforming cars around tracks. He's eight points away from being a five time world champion. And through whether it be decisions, moving teams at the wrong time, um, he could have achieved so much more. But I think actually he's a, he's an exceptional driver, Fernando.
0: Lee, great stuff as always uh, pe- Where can people get the book? It's Black and White Publishing Inside F1 is the name of the book But um, all good bookstores, is it?
1: All good bookstores Apparently even supermarkets So the next time that you're um, you know, struggling To afford bread and butter and all the basics Just
0: forget the food and go straight to the bookstance Great stuff Lee McKenzie, thanks for, thanks, Willie, for joining us as always
1: Thank you
2: OTB
0: AM With Gillette